This is Because I Said So, parenting advice with love and leadership from the nation's leading parenting expert, John Roseman, syndicated columnist, author, conference speaker, and the only psychologist to point out that psychology has caused more problems than it has solved. From American Family Radio, here's your host, John Roseman. Well, hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, John Rosemond, and you can find out more about me and my parenting and family ministry by going to either of my two websites, uh, johnrosemond.com or parentguru.com. I am a psychologist who does not believe in psychology. I am a psychoheretic, and um, I've written about it. It all depends on how you count them. If you count updates, rewrites, uh, new editions, and so forth, about 20 books on parenting and family issues. I travel the country nine, ten months a year, presenting primarily in churches and Christian schools, although I do present on occasion in secular settings. And I write a nationally syndicated newspaper column, which as papers <laughs> have gotten thinner and thinner and thinner over the last 10 years, which is uh, the price they have to pay, most of them, for uh, being so far behind the curve in responding to the new digital age. My column has appeared in fewer and fewer and fewer newspapers. It still appears in about, uh, I'd say, 200 newspapers around the country, including some major market newspapers like the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and the uh, Buffalo News and Albuquerque and Omaha and places like that. It, It does not typically appear in bastions of liberalism. So as um any of you who are regular listeners to the show or the podcast, which uh, appears on my website, I believe that's the way it's accessed. I'm not a very tech-savvy guy. I choose not to be tech-savvy. So my daughter handles my website, podcasts, and everything else. And But anyway, if uh, you've been listening to the show, either on air, American Family Radio, 5 o'clock, Central Time, 6 o'clock Eastern, you can do the math on the rest, on American Family Radio every week, or you listen to the podcast, which uh, I guess you can access just about any time, then you know that I am completely 125% opposed to children, including teenagers still living at home who are dependent upon parental support being in possession of smartphones, uh, Apple phones, Androids, whatever they are, smartphones. No parent has ever been able to give me a logical reason why a minor needs to enjoy such a privilege if enjoy is even the proper word to use. The most common rationale parents give when I ask them, why does your child have a smartphone? You know, you're eight year old. <laughs> you're, it's ludicrous. Uh, I, you know, I can't, I can't help but laugh. I'm sorry. Uh, you're 11 year old. Uh, my grandchildren, uh, unfortunately, uh, fall or have fallen into this category. Uh, most of them anyway, not all of them. And so I, I asked these parents, why, why does your child have a smartphone? What, 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 why do you feel compelled to buy 
a smartphone and set up a uh, an account with a provider for your child. And the most common rationale given is, I want my child to be able to get in touch with me, and I want to be able to get in touch with my child. All right, well, I guess that's a, uh, a reasonable rationale, although you know, I had tremendous freedom, as did most people my age when we were kids. And uh, believe it or not, back then there was such a thing as child abduction. In fact, the uh, Justice Department of the United States has been unable to determine that the per capita rate of child abduction has increased since 1950. Now, they're referring to child abduction by strangers intent upon doing harm or exploiting the child in some way. They're not referring to disgruntled grandparents who are angry about a divorce settlement, a child custody and visitation arrangement, and go snatch their grandchild off the playground and uh, take him to New Zealand or something like that. They're referring to stranger abduction. But per capita, according to the Department of Justice, the, the rate of child abduction by strangers has not increased since 1950. Now, as the population has increased, the incidence, and that is a statistical distinction, has in fact increased. There are more child abductions today than there were in 1950, but the per capita rate has apparently not increased. Anyway, I had tremendous freedom, as did most people my age and around my age. I was born in 1947 as a child. I was going down to the city of Chicago when I was 12 years old. Uh, riding the bus, and then the Chicago L is what it's called, uh, the elevated train, and walking around downtown Chicago. I'm 12 years old. My mother gave me a few quarters for phone calls. I didn't have a cell phone. My parents didn't feel compelled to be able to stay in touch with me. You know, I, I understand the rationale, but I want to point out to our listeners that this need on the part of parents to be constantly aware of where their children are, what they're doing, and so on and so forth, is, in effect, a form of micromanagement, and it is largely unnecessary. But wait, uh, don't get angry at me because I'm going to give you a solution. If that is your best defense, then there is still no reason for your child to have a smartphone. What I recommend is that you purchase a basic cell phone from a box store, give it to your child on selective occasions, telling him, uh, if you need to get in touch with me, here's a phone, or keep this phone with you in case I need to get in touch with you. A basic cell phone, one that does not connect to the internet, does not take photographs, does not do anything really except a text. And on the type of cell phone that I'm referring to, it takes uh, five minutes to send a 10-word text. It's extremely laborious, and it also will make and receive phone calls. And that's it. The evidence is mounting, folks, that for whatever reasons, most likely having to do with brain development during the uh, childhood years, and I'm including the teenage years, smartphones are literally addictive literally addictive to children and teenagers. They induce changes in brain chemistry that mimic the sort of changes in brain chemistry that accompany an addiction to a chemical of one sort or another. 
Now, I'm telling you what the research is beginning to find. Adults are able, if you've noticed, are adults, most adults, uh, I'm I'm, uh, discounting millennials. I'm not sure most of them are adults. Uh, Adults are able to keep their smartphones in their pockets unless some necessity arises. I am an adult. My wife is an adult. We associate with adults. We may bring our cell phones to social occasions with us. They are not in our hands as we walk around talking to people. We are not constantly looking at them and so on and so forth. Uh, We are able to keep our smartphones in our pockets unless some necessity arises. Human beings who are not yet adults seem unable, by and large, to do that. The exception is the child or teenager whose attention is disproportionately captured by a smartphone screen is rare. In other words, uh, you know, you give a kid a smartphone, he's got it in his hand almost constantly. Um, if you notice these teenagers, uh, they they stand around in groups of four, five, six, whatever, and they're all facing each other maybe, but they all have their cell phones in their hands and they are all looking at their cell phones and punching the screens of their cell phones, texting In other words, these kids are addicted. I do not do that. My wife does not do that. Our social group does not do that. Even if we have our cell phones on us, we are not addicted. But John, a parent says, that's how teenagers communicate with one another. To which I respond, yes. And that is why their face-to-face communication skills are generally awful Their eye contact is notoriously bad, and when, in a face-to-face encounter, they begin feeling uncomfortable, which is often, what do they do? Right. They pull out their smartphone and begin looking at it while you're talking to them. I conclude that these devices interfere with the development of proper social skills. There is a reason, folks, why employers are increasingly identifying the social and conversational skills of job applicants as more important than college grades. I recently spent some time with two parents and their teenage child who had a habit of taking out his cell phone and looking at it while conversation was taking place. His parents told him to put the cell phone away at least five times in 15 minutes. They were obviously exasperated. They're intelligent people, but they are living proof that common sense and intelligence do not go hand in hand. And if I'm uh, insulting you, I'm, I'm not. Sorry, I'm not apologetic for it. On the positive side, I've recently spoken with parents who have taken their kids' smartphones away for good, lots of them. They've all testified to the sort of reaction typical of withdrawal from an addiction. Tantrums, even rages, mood swings, near manic obsession with getting the cell phone back, takes two weeks at least for the addiction to run its course, at which time, according to said parents, their children's moods greatly improve. They begin engaging in family conversation and family activities. They demonstrate renewed sensitivity to other people's feelings and seem generally more relaxed. As yet, no parent has reported a downside One teenage boy eventually thanked his parents for taking his smartphone away, telling them he felt a whole lot better without a smartphone. Ah, yes, 
A normal childhood is a wonderful thing. It's every child's right, in fact. So my question to you, my listeners, who may be wearing these shoes, where is your common sense these days? Stay with us. I'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. I'm John Roseman, your host. The show is called Because I Said So. I am carried every Saturday afternoon, 6 o'clock Eastern, 5 o'clock Central, 4 o'clock Mountain, 3 o'clock Pacific Time, all across the United States on American Family Radio. As uh, regular listeners to the show know, I am a psychologist who does not believe in psychology. I believe psychology has caused more problems for the American child, parent, family, school, and culture than psychologists even know how to solve. Psychology is not, I am convinced, psychological theory does not uh, give you a proper understanding of human beings. Uh, The only proper understanding of human beings is found in God's Word, Scripture, the Bible. Um, around 1980, and by the way, this was 20 years before I accepted Christ. Christ came into my life. However you say that, whether you're an Arminian or a Calvinist, and as for me, I wake up on any given morning and decide that day whether I'm Arminian or Calvinist. I, I'm really confused by that whole thing. I, I, I got to tell you. So I tell people, you know, I'm a Calvinist on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and uh, every other Saturday. But I accepted Christ in the year 2000, but I began uh, feeling disenchanted with my profession, psychology, and I am licensed by the North Carolina Psychology Board, and I keep my license so that I can talk about all this stuff with uh, credibility. I'm an insider. I began becoming disenchanted with my profession in the early 1980s. I began to realize that psychology was not a science, although it pretended to be a science, that it was an ideology. It was a bogus pseudoscience, and that it was promoting a, in effect, a liberal, leftist, secular, humanist, behaviorist, deterministic, mechanistic view of human beings. And now, mind you now, I, I, you know, I was still not reading the Bible. I was going to church, an Episcopal church, and which was becoming uh, increasingly more and more lost in a dark wood, as uh, William Blake put it, or no, Dante put it in uh, his Inferno. And, but I wasn't aware of that. And, but around 1990, I began to realize, oh, these diagnostic criteria that one finds in what is called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, they do not represent realities. They are constructs. Now, let me explain the difference. Cancer, heart disease, leukemia, a broken bone, a hangnail, those are realities. They can be measured, observed, photographed, quantified, etc., etc. Those injuries, states, disorders, diseases, they are realities. There is no evidence whatsoever 
that any psychiatric disorder, and that includes, folks, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, and and some of you are going to start getting uncomfortable here. Bear with me because I'm going to tell you the truth. There is no evidence that any psychiatric diagnosis is reliably associated with any biological state. Now, this is what, this is the theory behind the term mental illness, that all of these disorders are caused by dysfunctions of a chemical or functional nature in the brain, chemical, functional, or structural. In other words, in reverse, the brain's structure, how the brain works, or the brain's chemistry, that all of these diagnoses reflect brain-based disease conditions or brain-based abnormalities. I began to realize there was no proof of that. And the first realization I had of this concerned the diagnosis of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And I began writing in my newspaper column that what I was beginning to discover, that ADHD was a construct. It was not a reality. And at that point in time, because there has been no diagnosis that has ever resulted in greater cash flow for the psychiatric, psychological, pharmaceutical behemoth in America than attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, my profession went nuts. This is when my profession began trying to come after my license, trying to take my license away, which they've never been able to do. I've spent a lot of money on attorneys. They've never been able to do it, but they'd still like to do it. So anyway, I found myself going head to head with a guy named Russell Barkley, psychologist, teaches, uh, or used to at least, I think he still does, at the Medical University of South Carolina in Charleston, South Carolina, And he's often promoted as the world's leading expert on attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Barclay likes to compare me with Scientology. See, this is what the left does uh, all across the board. This is their MO. If they don't agree with something that you say, because liberalism is by definition a state of intellectual dishonesty, These people don't deal with your argument. What they do is they begin to demonize you. And this is what Barclay has done with me. He enjoys comparing me in front of audiences and in writings, you can find them on the the internet, with Scientology. His reasoning goes thus. I, John Rosemond, do not believe that what he tells the world about ADHD is true. And I want to remark here, Barclay believes that what he is saying is true. Uh, He just has no proof that it is true. Anyway, I do not believe that what Barclay tells the world about ADHD is true. And Scientologists believe psychiatry in general is a bogus profession Therefore, I, John Rosemond, am apparently, according to Russell Barkley, in denial about my inner Scientologist. I don't see the connection, actually, but then a person in denial is by virtue of his mental block unable to admit to his mental block. 
The psychological party line, most of which is informed by Barclay's writings and speaking, has it that ADHD is caused, at least in part, by genes, and that said genes cause a neurochemical imbalance, in other words, a imbalance in brain chemistry and or inborn brain anomalies, and that the biological abnormalities and dysfunctions in question cause the symptoms of ADHD. Uh, short attention span, impulsivity, low tolerance for frustration, and so on. The professions of psychology and psychology, psychology and psychiatry, excuse me, have allied with the pharmaceutical industry to manufacture and market this unproven explanation. It is unproven. It is a fact that said genes have never been conclusively identified. It's a fact, fact, that no one has ever quantified a state of biochemical balance. Therefore, a state of imbalance is purely a matter of conjecture. Yep, that's true. It is a fact that just as the brain manages behavior, repetitive behavior can alter the brain and the way that it works. So, the brains of major league pitchers or professional golfers probably look much different than the brains of accountants. But it would border on ludicrous to assert that the people in question were born with these neurological differences. But this is the kind of stuff that Barclay and, and his sycophants assert. So, the December 2016 online edition of Schizophrenia Bulletin features an article by highly respected psychiatric researcher Robin Murray titled, Mistakes I Have Made in My Research Career. Murray admits to having spent his professional life searching for things that do not exist. Wow. Accordingly, he has come to the conclusion that schizophrenia is not a disease. Wow. Wow, because if schizophrenia is not a disease, then it is likely that no so-called mental illness is an illness at all. And if that's the case, then the profession of psychiatry and the profession of psychology is in deep euphemism deleted. And if that is the case then so is the pharmaceutical industry. Wow, and hallelujah. I have long maintained that ADHD is nothing more than a set of behaviors that reflect not biological dysfunctions, but the dysfunctions of or inherent to post-1960s parenting. Without exception, the defining behaviors for ADHD is found in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, the so-called Bible of the mental health professions, are universal to toddlers. Attention span must be trained. A child must be taught patiently but tenaciously to control impulses. Tolerance for frustration is a matter of proper parental discipline, and so on. What I call psychological parenting fails, post-1960s parenting, fails in all those respects and more. 
Barclay and others in the field of psychology and psychiatry have encouraged the belief that I am blaming parents for ADHD. And that arouses predictable emotions, for sure. In fact, I blame the mental health professions for ADHD, not parents. How are lay people, parents, supposed to know that people with capital letters after their names are making things up? That they don't know what they're talking about? That ADHD is nothing more than perpetual toddlerhood? Well, Robin Murray, the guy who wrote the article in Schizophrenia Bulletin, is one brave soul. It is often the case that the ideologically blind do not want to see and even become furious at those who try to help them remove their blindfolds. Many kudos to you, Robin Murray. Thanks for joining the show, folks. We're out of time. Glad you could join us. Remember, next Saturday, 5 o'clock Central, American Family Radio.